Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today we have with us Gil Quinones, who's the president and CEO of the New York Power Authority. Hi, Gil. Hi, how are you, Marty? Great to be with you. Wonderful. Um, I'd like to talk about what's going on at NIPA, uh, specifically where the New York Rev has evolved. And uh, I understand that the term now being used is Vision 2030. Is that what Rev is evolved into and give us the broad outline of its objectives. Well, Rev is still around. Rev is the statewide initiative to really reimagine the business models for the energy transition here in New York. What really changed was that two years ago, our state passed a legislation called Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. And that uh, legislation set forth the goals of our state to battle the climate crisis. And that, along with another legislation that was passed last year to accelerate the build out of infrastructure such as transmission, large scale renewables, uh, onshore and offshore, uh, really are the ones driving state policy in New York at, at this point. Now, NIPA. Uh, we are one of the major players here in New York in terms of energy policy. We're, we're the largest state-owned electric utility in the United States. And we develop a 10-year strategic plan, so between now and 2030, and we're calling our strategic plan Vision 2030. So uh, tell us some of the highlights. Uh, I think the biggest fruit I see is $3.9 billion. Uh, invested in 67 large-scale renewable projects. What's that all about? Yeah, well, the, this, the governor, after his State of the State address this year, uh, announced investments that are being made, not just by NIPA, but our sister authority, New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. So that's the entity that issued the request for proposals for offshore wind. And they made awards. Uh, this is, by the way, second round of that. And Equinor, um, in partnership with BP, won the two uh, awards. They have two projects, and both projects won in that solicitation. What's interesting with that, Marty, is it's also going to spur the, the build-out of two manufacturing facilities for offshore wind in New York, one in Albany and one in Brooklyn. And so the, the assembly and the manufacturing of uh, components for offshore wind will happen there, therefore creating jobs and stimulating uh, economic development in, in our state. So as an old Brooklyn resident, uh, went to Lafayette High School, tell me what, what's going to be built in Brooklyn and where? So I don't know whether you, you know Brooklyn Army Terminal, right there in uh, close to Sunset Park, will be the area where this will be a built for, again, one of the two hubs for manufacturing. So it's, it's going to be great. And, and for NIPA, 
The governor also announced the build-out of major transmission systems, specifically in upstate New York, to bring renewables from upstate New York down to the load centers in southeast New York, New York City, the suburbs, Long Island, Westchester, etc. And so there are five projects that are breaking ground this year and early next year. Uh, over 250 miles of transmission will be built. Three of the five projects NIPA is building. The other two, one being built by NextEra in western New York, and another one just south of Albany going, going south, uh, being built by a consortium of utilities uh, in New York State called Transco. So let's uh, focus for a second on the offshore wind part of it. My understanding is that there's a vision of 9,000 megawatts by 2035. Is this going to be in New York state waters? I would assume around Long Island or where is it going to be and what role will NIPA play in this? Yeah, so it will actually be in federal waters. So because it will be you know, way beyond the, the New York uh, waters uh, boundary. A lot of it will, will be off Long Island, both on the the uh, south side, uh, south shore, and and some north, you know, all the way past Montauk, and you know, nine thousand megawatts by twenty thirty five. That is the goal. We're almost halfway there, from the two first RFPs issued by NYSERDA. Uh So NIPA's role will be more on the transmission part of it. So we partnered with a couple of the winners in round one of the RFP. We partnered with Orsted and Eversource. They have a project and NIPA will be responsible for what we call the dry transmission portion. As, as it goes out the ocean and connecting to the LIPA grid, that will be our NIPA's responsibility. Same thing with Equinor now in the round two uh, one of their projects will go down along the Long Island Sound all the way to Astoria, to our facility in Astoria. So again, we will uh, take care of the dry portion of the transmission. Now, there's been studies in our state about what should we do with our transmission. The Department of Public Service, which is the staff of the Public Service Commission, uh, has been doing grid modernization studies, both for onshore to bring renewables from upstate to downstate to the load centers and offshore. And there's a lot of talk on the offshore portion, Marty, that we may need to build what's called a mesh grid or a collector grid out in the ocean so that the, the offshore wind farms are not connecting to Long Island and New York City just on a straight shot radial basis, but there's some kind of connectivity amongst the offshore wind farms. So you, you probably recall that a number of years ago, Google and I believe Mitsubishi had a vision of putting an, a uh, highway off the Atlantic seaboard, the Northeast, transatlantic wind, I think it was called. And uh, it, are some of those players looking to get involved or who, are, who will build that mesh that you're talking about? Well, uh, some there, there are a couple that I know. I know Mitsubishi is looking at it. I know that there's a private developer called Anbaric is also proposing one. Uh, but mostly in the you know, New York, New Jersey area, it'll be interesting 
whether indeed uh, there will be a way to connect the wind farms for all the way from uh, Massachusetts to, to Virginia, right? Where, where all the developments are happening now. Maybe even North Carolina, I think, is looking at it. It's hard because those areas are in different RTOs. So you have ISO New England, New York ISO, and then PJM. It makes it difficult to work out the, what they call seams issues. Right. So just to finish the picture, you mentioned Albany and Brooklyn as manufacturing sites. These offshore wind devices have to be fairly sophisticated to anchor in, in stormy weather offshore and seas. Uh, what's going to be made near Albany? What's going to be made near Brooklyn? Uh, I don't know specifically which components yet are going to be assembled or you know integrated in those facilities, but they are going to be major hubs for the assembly of components and then the subsequent maintenance that's going to be needed. And you're right, it's, it's not as you know, easy to put it out there. Now, the good thing is that a lot of these companies that are doing offshore wind are coming from the oil industry. You know, Orsted uh, is, is the Danish, uh, former Danish oil company. So they're very much familiar on how to do offshore rigs. Same thing with Equinor. It used to be Stat Oil and partnered with BP. So they, they know how, how to do that properly. There is a small wind farm off, uh, since you're from, uh, from Brooklyn, Marty, off uh, Block Island. So just, just north of Long Island, there's an uh, uh, offshore wind there, about six, seven large offshore wind turbine owned by Orsted. So there is some level of experience, although the projects that are getting built now are going to be much bigger. Let's... Uh turn to, to the vision uh, 2030 and the vision of a carbon neutral economy for New York State by 2050. Paint a picture of um, how that will evolve and the vision of electrifying everything, increased uh, penetration of electrical energy to push out fossil fuels. What's the vision for that uh, evolving? So the, the legislation, the law, now law, it's no longer legislation, actually created a climate action council. And there are various working groups dealing with various sections of what needs to be done. So you have groups looking at energy efficiency, looking at how do you decarbonize energy intensive industries, agriculture, housing, uh, the you know, transportation, etc. And that's being put together as an integrated package to define the pathway on how do we get from here to you know, 70% renewable by 2030, carbon-free electricity by 2040, and then net zero by 2050. Uh, and how do you do that and still have the necessary reliability and resiliency requirements of our grid in New York, specifically in New York City, the financial communications, uh, media capital of the world. So it's it's a daunting task, but uh, we are up to it. There are going to be uh, a need to, in at least my own opinion, to develop, uh, to have breakthrough technologies in uh, long duration or multi-day duration storage, uh, the use of hydrogen, green hydrogen, 
of course, transmission. Uh, we have to modernize our distribution system, more distributed energy resources and flexibility of demand uh, and flexibility at the grid edge. All of those things are going to be needed to reach our goals. And some of those technologies are not here yet, such as multi-day duration storage and hydrogen. As we, where we saw last week, how difficult it is. You know, in Texas, when, when you have outages, prolonged outages, uh, the resiliency of the grid becomes very important because it's a matter of uh, public health and safety. So let's talk about where we are today and then we can uh, stretch to where we're going. Um, under Vision 2030, I think there's call for 450 megawatts of storage. Um, that's just the beginning how is that going to unfurl, and uh, how big does the storage have to get in New York State? Well, in our legislation, there is a goal of 3,000 megawatts of storage by 2030. That's the mandate codified in law. I actually believe we probably need more than just 3,000 megawatts to really reach carbon-free electricity by 2040 and, and net zero by 2050. Uh, and different types of storage. You know, right now you have lithium ion that's good for four hours, maybe eight hours at the max. But as we have seen in the California heat wave this past summer, and now what happened in Texas just a week ago, we need multi-day, longer duration storage. How much storage would you say exists today, Gil? Not very many in terms of battery storage. Now, in New York, we're fortunate to have hydro. So NIPA, we produce 25% of all electricity in New York State. About 80 to 90% of that 25% is hydro. And for example, we own a very large uh, pump storage in the northwest of the Catskills uh, in Schoharie County. We call it our Blenheim Gilboa plant. That's 1,200 megawatts. The big Niagara power project is a combination a hydro and pump storage. So we have some baseline where neighbors with Quebec, they have a lot of hydro. So we want to increase the connectivity with Quebec. Uh, so all kinds of storage will have to be put in service. Thermal energy storage we ha will have to be put in service. So Gil, what's the uh, business model for this 3,000 megawatts of storage by 2030? Who will own it? Will the customer own it? Well, it'll be, it will be a combination. We are, NIPA, we are building a big battery storage now in northern New York, 20 megawatt battery storage next to our substation. So some of them will be utility-owned and part of the utility assets. Some of them will be owned by third party, part of you know wind farms or solar farms uh, that are going to be built even offshore wind. Uh, I can foresee that storage will be a big component of that. And then uh, some will be owned by customers behind the meter, and some will be owned by uh, the distribution utilities as part of their distribution operation. So there will be different business models, I believe, for, for this to work out. But we're at the nascent stage at this point. What about electrification? How fast is that going to come on in New York State? Um, I believe that it will come at a steady rate uh, in two areas. In one area will be electric vehicles. Uh, NIPA, we are building 
uh, fast charging stations along our highway system, uh, about 200 sites, 800 fast chargers to make EV an easier choice for New Yorkers and to remove what's called range anxiety from, uh, from drivers. Uh, we're also building it in urban hubs. So for example, at JFK, we're building it not just for the use of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, but for rideshare, Uber and Lyft and, and the public. That's the largest fast charging hub in the Northeast right now. So that's one area. The other area will be for space heating and hot water heating using heat pumps. Uh, that's probably going to come a little slower because it's, you know, the price points will have to continue downward. Customers will have to be comfortable that they work in cold weather situation. You know, we're in a cold weather region here. Uh, so, and the supply chain need to, need to be development. You know, the contractors who would put it in, the contractors who will maintain it, you know, that, that ecosystem is not fully mature. So, um, what about the, the the office buildings in Manhattan, iconic tall buildings? Do you see increased use of electrification there and greater penetration of new technology? I believe so. It's not going to be easy here in Manhattan because, as you know, from 96th Street in Manhattan all the way down south to the tip of Manhattan, many buildings are heated by steam like Con Edison steam, steam, uh, Con Ed has a steam network here and they use natural gas to make that steam right now. So I think there will have to be uh, better technology developed and, you know, it's tight spaces. You're going to retrofit large high-rise buildings. It's not as easy, but I think it will get there. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic with uh, American ingenuity and, and its ability to innovate. And, and I think that, that we will do that. How do you see, you talked about distributed generation. How do you see solar growing in New York State? It's been growing really fast. I've been surprised in the last RFP process by our sister authority, NYSERDA, most of the winners, in fact, I would say 95% of the winners uh, were solar farms in upstate New York. Uh, so that's growing fast here in New York. Community solar, NIPA, we are actually using uh, government buildings, state and local government buildings, and underutilized land as sites for community solar. Uh, and what we're doing is targeting that to uh, disadvantaged communities and environmental justice communities because it's, it's harder for them to access uh, solar energy or renewable energy. How does the uh, Biden administration push towards um, addressing climate change make all these plans either on a faster track or um, speed up the, you talk about the need for new battery technology. Will you see uh, do you anticipate seeing more federal resources going into that kind of research? Yes, I am expecting a more robust support from the federal government and more robust programs. They have already said that they're going to do, to do an all-government approach, meaning every agency will somehow play an important role in battling climate change. They are already committing more money for the research and development for our national labs. 
I expect there will be a big energy slash climate component of the infrastructure bill that they are planning to put together. And I think just in case of policy and regulatory uh, thinking, it's it's very much aligned with the goals here in, in New York. So it will be a a harmonized relationship or more harmonized relationship between New York State and the federal government. So what is the hardest part of this transition as it comes along uh, in terms of preparing your workforce and uh, getting all the financial resources you need lined up? Yeah, uh, we do need to upscale and rescale our workforce. We're becoming more and more of a digital uh, economy. Uh, so that's needed. Uh, more STEM education. We, we have been at NIPA making a huge commitment in supporting STEM education in partnership with IBM. We're doing what they call P-TECH, a very much proven technology to increase the pipeline of STEM educated students who will hopefully go eventually to engineering schools. So that's going to be needed. To me, the two big issues that we need to think about is uh, resiliency and uh, cyber risk and physical security risk. As we go through this transition, we have to design in and incorporate uh, cyber and physical security and and other severe weather-related projections going forward into when we do capital program and when we retrofit our equipment and infrastructure. It's so clear, uh, just what we saw in California and last week in Texas, that we need to embed every step of the way resiliency into how we design our systems for the future. So on your website, you describe, NIPER describes itself as the first end-to-end digital utility. how has this enhanced your operations and how has it made you more vulnerable to things like cyber attacks? Yeah. Well, when we decided to embark on this digital transformation, this is really all the way back to 2013, 2014, uh, we made a conscious decision that we will look at cyber, physical security, and climate adaptation issues and make sure that they are taken into account from the beginning and every step of the way going forward. It's already giving us a tremendous return. By the way, when we said digital transformation, it's not just on the operation side of our business, but we're digitizing the products and services we provide to our customers, the way we engage with our customers internally. We're digitizing our internal operations. We're whether it's human resources, legal and finance, et cetera. Uh, so it's really end-to-end and inside and out. Uh, the productivity sa- savings have been there. The enhanced uh, provision of services to our customers are there. And in fact, I would say we are more agile, flexible, and resilient uh, this time around than when we were back in 2014. When COVID hit us, as you know, we were the epicenter of COVID here, we were able to go to a work from home mode in two days. It's because of the digital infrastructure that we have invested uh, in our, you know, in our company. 
So uh, sitting here a week after the um, disaster in ERCOT, what advice do you have to your for your friends down in Texas? Yeah, I've, I've been talking to them during this past week. And, you know, I, I, I tweeted a, a thread on this uh, a few days ago. I think, you know, first of all, I think we should wait for the full after action report, you know, where we really get all the facts on what happened. But just looking from afar, it's clear to me that you have at the very least, you have to winterize or weatherize your power plants, your gas wells, gas gathering systems and pipelines so that you're not caught short. In New York, we are required to winterize our power plants. NIPA owns uh, natural gas power plants in New York City and Long Island. And we winterize them, the controls, the pipes. We have heat tracing to make sure they don't freeze up. Number two, in New York also, our big plants, combined cycle plants, can burn either gas or oil. So if there's no gas, we can burn low sulfur diesel or jet kerosene to power our plant. So those are the kind of things that, you know, that, that I, I believe our friends in Texas, we will consider they're going to, to ask uh, states where you are, Kansas, Minnesota, Chicago, uh, what do you do up there with your power plants? How do you winterize them? New York, uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of those practices will be adapted in Texas. Okay. Well, it's great catching up with you, Gil. Uh, thank you, Martin. It's always great uh, to be with you. I know we've done this a few times, and I look forward to do more with you. Likewise, thanks for listening to Grid Talk. Our guest today is Gil Quinones, President and CEO of the New York Power Authority. We thank him for sharing his insights about changes both at NIPA, in New York State, and across the industry. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send feedback or questions to us at gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.